If you work in the rap industry, are you less likely to get a fair trial in court? Dr. Sharis Kubrin from the University of California, Irvine, and co-author of Rap on Trial, A Legal Guide for Attorneys, is here to answer that question, plus much more. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Hope you're having a great day out there, wherever you might be. We've got a lot to cover on our episode today, so we're jumping right in. But first, thank you, Noda. Noda is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda. No-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay, let's say hello to our guest, Dr. Sharis Cuban from the University of California, Irvine School of Social Ecology, where she is also a professor of criminology, law, and society. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And so the origin of our episode today is our producer, Molly McDonough, found an article talking about your Rap on Trial, a legal guide for attorneys, practice guide. And uh, so we read that article and she sent it to me and uh, it was fascinating. I was like, this is really interesting. So you obviously had me at the first three words, Rap on Trial. But <laughs> as I dug in, I realized, you know, this is not just good advice if you have somebody that works in the entertainment industry, more specifically rap, but it's good if you have a client out there that might have a social stigma for whatever reason. I think this is really good advice for managing an image in front of the jury. So my opening question to you, Professor, you know, what inspired you and your co-author, Professor Lerner, and he's over at the uh, the University of California, Irvine School of Law. What inspired that partnership to come up with this practice guide? Well, uh, I got involved in all things rap on trial in 2011 when I was asked to testify in a case involving an aspiring rapper. And since then, over the years, I've been involved in dozens of cases, consulting, testifying on behalf of aspiring rappers who are having their lyrics, their rap lyrics or videos used against them in criminal court. And along the way, I conducted some experimental research with colleagues looking at the potential bias of introducing lyrics and videos into these cases. Fast forward a couple years ago, Professor Jack Lerner at UCI Law contacted me because he was fascinated with this issue. He runs a clinic there dealing with First Amendment issues and other kinds of um, issues. And he wanted to collaborate to produce a manual, a legal guide, if you will, for attorneys dealing with rap on trial cases. And that I thought was perfect because it turns out I was getting a lot of calls over the years from attorneys. How do you deal with these cases? I don't know much about rap music. Can you give me some background? How do I prepare you know, questions for expert witnesses and so on and so forth? So we ended up collaborating and a year or two later, actually more like two, three years later, because it was such a long process, we produced this legal guide. Well, now, admittedly, I was having a hard time until I really dug in under the hood of your trial guide, you know, picturing why would someone's professional work in hip hop impact them in a criminal trial. It took me a little while to get there. So I would imagine there's probably a few listeners out there that are feeling the same way that I am. You know, walk us through that. How is it that rap lyrics or an appearance on a rap video impacts somebody? This is their professional life. And now they've got some issue in court. Why is that causing them such grief in front of the jury? Well, I'm glad you said that because that reveals the extent to which this is potentially problematic. And my experience is that it's very problematic. So basically what happens in these cases is aspiring rappers are having their lyrics or videos used against them, either for motive, intent in relation to a crime or some enhancement like 
to show that they're involved in a gang. And what happens is prosecutors introduce these lyrics and videos and essentially deny the status of rap as art, basically arguing that these lyrics or videos are akin to autobiographical confessions of illegal behavior. In other words, rappers are admitting or confessing to crimes in their lyrics. And this is particularly salient when you talk about a subgenre of rap music called gangster rap, where there's lots of threatening, violent language. Um, you know, it's like horror movies. You come to expect to see blood, guts, and gore when you go to see a horror movie. If you listen to gangster rap, you expect to hear lots of violence and threatening language. That's the genre of, you know, that's those are the artistic conventions of that genre. Well, prosecutors are exploiting this to convince judges and juries alike that this isn't art, that this isn't a form of expression, but rather it's confessional, it's autobiographical. And, you know, this is a shortcut, if you will, around collecting the regular evidence that is used to present in front of a jury to convict an individual. So I see it as like a shortcut that prosecutors can use that's very effective because for those that know about gangster rap music or have listened to it, it can be quite shocking in your face. The imagery and videos can be quite salient, if you will, for jurors. Yeah, no, agree. And th that's how I uh, rate my rap music, uh, unless it offends me in the first couple of seconds, I fast forward. So right, no, that's, that's the point of a lot of the rap music. The goal is to offend. The goal is to shock. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Dude. There's a lot of reasons to tune in there. But yeah, you're right. It, it's an art form and it's got its own style. But before we get into that, because there's a part of this, I really appreciated those conventions of the rap industry. You all uh, cite to a study and it took me a little while to kind of cue in on that, because like you just said, we go to horror movies and uh, we watch violent TV sometimes. And, you know, I can't recall any instance where one of the writers of those productions, you know, had to worry about their production being looped into a criminal charge about them. And so uh, the studies that you have point to, they indicate that uh, this might be a particular problem associated with rap, say, over other art forms that might bring in some violent content as part of their art form. So walk us through some of those uh, studies real quick. Sure. And first, just to preamble to that is you're exactly right. I mean, there are very few cases where aspiring artists have their lyrics or videos used against them, except in the case of rap music. You don't see this for country, punk, heavy metal, you don't see this for movies by Quentin Tarantino and other kinds of violent forms of expression, right? It's really only for rap. Now, the research that I and uh, my colleagues have done at UC Irvine has attempted to discern to what extent is bias introduced into these criminal cases when lyrics and videos are introduced. And what we did is we built on earlier studies by Carrie Freed that presented experimental subjects with violent lyrics, in this case, from a folk song, Bad Man's Blunder by the Kingston Trio. And there's a stanza in there. Well, early one evening, I was roaming around. I was feeling kind of mean. I shot a deputy down. And it goes on and on. And what we did is we randomly assigned participants in our study to either think they were rap lyrics or country music lyrics. And then we asked respondents in our experiment to evaluate the lyrics, like how threatening do you think these lyrics are? How dangerous, how offensive should they be regulated? How autobiographical are they? And what we found in our studies, our early studies, was that people who thought they were evaluating rap music lyrics viewed them much more negatively on every dimension compared to those that thought that they were evaluating country music lyrics. 
And in a follow-up study, we asked not about the evaluation of the lyrics themselves, but about the artist who made the lyrics. Like, how talented do you think this person is? How intelligent are they? Do you think they were involved in prior criminal behavior? Could they be members of a gang? We added a third condition in there, which is heavy metal music. And again, we randomly assigned people to think that the lyrics were from one of the three genres. And again, we found that those who thought that they were interpreting or evaluating rap music lyrics saw the artist as much less intelligent, much more likely to be criminal and involved in gang activity. So the implications of this for rap on trial cases is that it's questionable whether an individual, an aspiring rapper, is getting a fair trial when the lyrics are introduced because of this potential bias. Yeah, no, I think a large part of that has to do with just sort of the persona of the performer. When I was reading your study, I was thinking the first thing you're going to make fun of me, I was thinking about uh, WWE wrestlers. You know, they Absolutely. act like, like big tough guys, you know, and they do these crazy things and they're always yelling at people. But in their personal lives, they're totally different. But that's that public persona they always wear. And I think that that's probably one of the differences of this particular performance form is because part of it is they wear that, uh, the performer's wear that when they go out in public and this is the imagery they put out in social, especially with social media days. You're always exactly. putting out this image. You're reinforcing that I will dress this certain way, which does have a certain criminal connotation. That's the point. The lyrics are the point. They're trying to get your attention. They're talking in a very raw way. And one of the things I really appreciate before we get into this conventions of rap was how you all kind of cited to that, you know, this art form and what goes into it. So I found a real appreciation for that, you know, just in terms of the art form, that there is a formula to it. It is an art oh, form. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and understanding that is very important in these cases so that lawyers can help jurors and judges understand, you know, because jurors will say, why are the lyrics so violent? Why would someone write this stuff? Right. Of course, we don't ask that to other forms of, of violent expression in our society. But understanding the conventions, the artistic conventions, the history of rap music puts all of that into context. Yeah, tell us about that, because uh, when you were going down the list of all that, you know, I found, you know, rap, hip hop is very unique in this way. It does have a lot of imagery. Some of it's negative imagery, but it goes into the art form and the storytelling narrative. So walk us through some of that so people might appreciate why this is a little bit different music form than others. Sure. So first of all, just a caveat, which is that rap music, like any form of music, is very diverse and has many different subgenres, much of which is positive and focused, you know, party oriented. But there are subgenres that tend to heavily focus on violence. One reason why they're so successful is because people want to hear that music, right? There's audience interest in that. And so rappers play into that in order to encourage commercial success, right? They go over the top creating personas that you know, are threatening and dangerous and offensive that shock the listener. You know, genre conventions include just hyper-masculinity, bragging, claiming you know, respect on the microphone, um, using metaphorical violence to basically brag about one's skills, right? Talking about like hanging your ass with a microphone, this notion of, you know, I'm just using an example of a lyric where the idea is using violent metaphor to explain how you will slay your competitor. You know, Killer Mike, who's a famous rapper, a lot of people think, oh, you know, he's got this name because he's a violent person. Well, actually he kills microphones. It's a metaphor for being talented. So there's all these artistic conventions that without knowledge of them, it's very easy to assume that these individuals, that this is some sort of example of character evidence, when in fact, these are characters that 
rappers are putting on consistent with the genre itself. Yeah, and I really appreciate it. Kind of driving this last point home, the part that, uh, you know, keeping it real, where performance artists will will dress like their persona, talk like their persona, act like their persona in public, not on stage. And then, mm-hmm. but this is what people see when they're out in public on social media and things like that. And at some point, you know, people are like, is this performance artist really like that in person? And it's a fair question. It's a fair question. If you've never met the person, all you ever see exactly. is videos of them putting out this imagery. So I think very important, you know, when you have a client that works uh, in this industry to manage <laughs> that imagery and that persona and make sure that you separate their stage presence from their real life presence, because the real life presence is what's under trial. Right. And to be fair, let me just add one thing. To be fair, rappers, I, you know, there's a, a wrinkle here, which is that rappers are always claiming that they're keeping it real, right? Providing authentic accounts of themselves in the hood and that sort of thing. That too is a convention of rap music. It's what Trisha Rose calls the pretense of no pretense, right? So every rapper is telling you that they're not just rapping about this stuff, they're doing it, or I'm keeping it real, or I ain't playing, or whatever phrase that they will use to emphasize the point that they are authentic. But that, too, is a convention, if you will. Well, we're running a little short on time, but I want to get through this roadmap that you all put together. And so, you know, even if uh, and listeners out there, especially if you're attorneys and you uh, defend clients in court on criminal charges, I would recommend reading this guide because I think that there's some wisdom here that uh, transcends beyond an entertainment client or a client that works in the entertainment industry. I think any client that might have some kind of negative connotation in society or some stigma attached to them, I think this is a beneficial lesson here. So I want to get through a couple of these uh, stops along this roadmap that you put out there, Professor. And so Let's say, you know, obvious part of this is that uh, your your client comes in, you, you recognize them, you know, they work in hip hop, you know, they work in the, the rap industry and you're hearing criminal charges immediately. I need you to defend me. What are those questions you need to ask right away just at the get go? Well, so, I mean, I think initially is establishing what role the lyrics and the videos will be playing in the case and minimizing the extent to which they are allowed into the case. Um, in other words, immediately starting by questioning their value in the case. Um, And I think defense attorneys should try from the get-go to understand if they play any evidentiary role. If they don't, and they're being used primarily as character evidence, which I think is what prosecutors are hoping can happen, file pretrial motions to remove the lyrics and videos primarily citing the evidence on potential bias, sort of the prejudicial impact outweighing probative value. That first impression is so important to the court and the jury. And so we just talked about those conventions of rap, those industry standards, those norms, those mores that, you know, if you're working as a, I don't know, working as a doctor, you're not going to have that same type of attitude and and wardrobe as you're as a, a hip hop star will. So when do you introduce those conventions of rap to the court and jury? And uh, when should you be reinforcing that? Say, hey, this is what they do on stage. This is not them in real life. Right. So if the videos and lyrics do ultimately get in, I think during jury selection is, I mean, and Professor Lerner writes about this in particular here, immediately you need to begin educating the jurors about the conventions of rap music, the potential bias, and get getting them to understand whether they themselves have implicit biases about rap music that could color their judgment of the defendant, you know, in a way that's harmful. And so getting jurors to think about other forms of artistic expression that's violent that don't have the same repercussions in society, that don't have the same negative stereotypes associated with that. Right from the get-go, making sure that's out there is important. 
Any advice on, you just mentioned, you know, trying to keep those lyrics out, those video appearances out, because even if you do get a chance to deliver that message about the conventions of the industry, you still don't want offensive imagery associated with your client in front of the jury. So what are the best times to object when that's being introduced? Right. So, I mean, again, the goal really is to not have it come in to begin with. Unfortunately, pretrial motions are often... I haven't seen a lot of cases where judges don't allow the videos and lyrics in. And so I do think it's very important to have an expert witness of some kind to come in and be able to draw parallels between what the client's videos and lyrics are doing and saying and more commercially successful rappers to show that this is simply what rappers do. This is not uniquely threatening. This line This imagery in the video can be found in dozens, if not hundreds, of other videos and lyrics done by commercially successful rappers. So to the extent to which you normalize this and even show, and look, this rapper has won awards for this work. You may not like it, you may find it distasteful, but it's commercially successful and recognized as art in society kind of mitigates the impact of those very salient images. And they are salient. I've seen jurors' faces literally recoil as they're watching these videos because many have never listened to rap music. All right, Professor, last question for you. Uh, This was part of that practice guide I didn't quite totally understand. So you all brought up this idea of utilizing the First Amendment as an argument to keep certain evidence out, those rap lyrics, those rap videos. So what did you mean by that? And when do you bring that in exactly? Right. So I wish Professor Lerner was here to talk about this because this is really his nuts and bolts. But basically, you know, unfortunately, these cases have not been successful regarding First Amendment arguments. We even question whether we should put in a section on First Amendment issues in the legal guide. In the end, we did because we think it's an important point to make even if it's not successful. And that is simply that these kinds of practices by prosecutors have consequential effects for artistic expression more generally in our society. I've interacted with a lot of aspiring rappers who for whatever reason have gotten involved in these rap on trial cases and have literally stopped making music. I've seen other aspiring rappers pull out of the rap game because they are afraid to have their lyrics used against them. What this does is produce a chilling effect on artistic expression that can have repercussions much broader than just rap music, but on society more generally. And so we think those issues are important to be aware of, even if First Amendment arguments are not, you know, what's going to make the case in court. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Professor. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. It's really good for promoting the show. And also, one more thank you to our sponsor, Nota. You can find them at trustnota.com forward slash legal. And that's Nota spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough, and our LTN audio crew. They're top of the charts in my book. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Clutty. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 